Welcome to the Student Affairs Spectacular, the weekly podcast giving you a front row seat to the greatest student affairs show on earth. And now your ringmasters, Tom Kriegelstein and Dustin Ramsdell. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode, uh, number 132 with Kathleen Delasky. Uh, so this is uh, one part, uh, probably just a two-part series on design thinking uh, just for what we were able to get to. I really want to get into this topic uh, in depth, but um, just for the sake of time, a little behind the scenes, I guess, that uh, I think we'll just get to uh, Kathleen's episode here and then one more episode in the coming weeks. So look forward to that. But uh, yeah, I talked to Kathleen about her diverse experience uh, leading up to her current role with the Education Design Lab, uh, which is doing some really great work to uh, help bring design thinking uh, as a nonprofit foundation to the higher ed world. So uh, we talk about all that and what design thinking is, if you don't know what it is. So uh, don't fret if you've never heard of that term before. But uh, it's a really valuable perspective to bring to uh, any aspect of your work, uh, you know, in, in any functional area of higher education. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Uh, without further ado, this is episode number 132 with Kathleen Delesky. Yeah, Kathleen, I, I appreciate you taking time out for this episode here. I'm really excited because I know you have a pretty unique experience in terms of who we had on before. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this will kind of take shape into be a uh, multi-part series on uh, just very broadly design thinking and environments as it applies to higher education. So kind of have her, uh, we'll get into that or have we'll take it. But um, yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out for this episode. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, we will start off here as we always do. Uh, so if you want to just give everyone an introduction of who you are and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, great. Well, thanks. Um, so, yeah, I'm Kathleen Delasky. So I, I think you invited me uh, on your podcast because of my current role, uh, which is I'm the founder and president of the Education Design Lab, which is a nonprofit that we founded. Actually, last week was our third official birthday, um, although we've been working for a year before that to, to sort of figure out what's the, what's the nonprofit that could really help uh, universities and the new learning institutions, as well as, as high schools and workplaces. So that whole school-to-work uh, continuum or pipeline, how do we help all those players like, figure out how to design to the future of work? Um, everyone agrees pretty much everyone, and, it, and it's been, there's been more agreement since we even started four years ago that the, the current school-to-work pipeline is broken mm-hmm. and that we need to uh, create and um, test and prototype new models for people to uh, get from you know, school or, or their, you know, their sort of their, their coming-of-age years uh, to, to help them figure out how do, I, how do I go from passions to pathways or no passions to pathways uh, how do I then, you know, have an efficient, affordable journey, and how do I launch workforce ready? And who's to say that that has to be the 600-year-old um, model, college model that we uh, that we are, um, you know, that is entrenched in the system currently? Why can't we have new models? And we feel like the recession in 2007 really began to open people's um, minds to the idea that the current you know, pricing and, and affordability issues and debt issues around around college and the, the rapidly changing job market, that those two things plus advances in technology really opened up people's minds to thinking, yeah, well, you know, we're ready for some new models. And so we saw it as an opening and, and, a, and a need. 
um, to to really um, start a new organization that would nationally help um, help organizations. And as we were doing that, as we were setting it up, it's like, okay, well, how, in what way can we help them? Obviously, we looked at a venture philanthropy model. Uh, we looked at, um, you know, a straight consulting model. We looked at um, um, uh, more of a of a of a services model. And where where we landed, it was about the time that design thinking was kind of gaining traction on the West Coast, mm-hmm. but on the East Coast, where we are, uh, not that many people were talking about it or even knew what it was. Uh, and so we began to think about how the concepts of design thinking could could help uh, um, both entrepreneurs inside of universities and colleges and high schools and and governments and foundations, how it could help them uh, really kind of design into white space and think about how uh, how they might test new models that um, that would clearly take a while to take hold and to show uh, results. But it, it became a, a methodology. We call it our in-house pedagogy for our jumping-off point of how to help organizations um, do design-driven innovation. Like I said, you have very uh, kind of unique experience for people who we've had on before. Of just like a lot of uh, like impressive business background that I think does yeah. bring that different mindset that I, that I think is really valuable to, like you said, this like hundreds of year old sort of like uh, uh, status quo and. Um, yeah, and I think just, I guess just uh, my my inclination or my sort of what I inferred from uh, some of your experience that I was looking over is that you've always, I think, had like a little bit of like a relation or kind of a focus or like a interest in education. I guess was that sort of like now mm-hmm. you've kind of have feel, um, like you said, all those factors coming together that it's like a good time to kind of um, take that, that interest even further. Is that is that kind of where you feel like you're at? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't start out in education at all. I mean, it, I was um, I, I was a journalist for 15 years, a TV journalist um, and, um, you know, was particularly covering, you know, sort of the big the big issue of my early years was, you know, the, the threat of nuclear holocaust. Right. So I was very interested in covering defense and arms control, which is what I did, you know, at NPR. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, covered um, uh, defense and politics at the White at, and at Covered the White House at um, at ABC News, and um, and then um, and then uh, Bill Clinton uh, uh, brought me in as the uh, as the first woman spokesman at the Pentagon, which was um, a really interesting um, a, a really interesting test to think about institutional change at a time. This was right as the Cold War was ending, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know the big the big issues were. Um, you know, disarmament and um, and um, you know bomb uh, uh, um, you know bullets to plowshares and you know thinking about humanita- the military's role in this humanitarian aid, expanding NATO. You know, these were some of the issues that we were really thinking about. And um, so I, I feel like I learned a lot about how to deal with large institutions. You know, working at the Pentagon and trying to be a change agent and crisis manager. At the Pentagon as the head of as the head of public affairs there, um, and then I you know then I went back to journalism and decided to um, go to this little startup that was actually in my town in in Virginia called AOL uh, and uh, help them figure out how to do news coverage because I you know I missed news and I went back to TV news or went back to journalism but um, so I, I I was early involved in consumer product development for online. And thinking about how groups form online, and we did you know politics online and civic engagement, 
And so that, that, that also, I, I think, really helped me think about consumer demand and how technology can play a role uh, because, you know, we did early UI testing and those kinds of things. And, and then, I, then I went, I took a really weird, what might seem like a weird turn to, um, I went to work at Sally May as chief communications officer, but also, um, the, you know, the reason I took the job was because they were starting a foundation. And the uh, CEO said to me, well, we've got $50 million here that we have to spend philanthropically, and I need you to figure out how we do that. And that, to me, was really exciting for the, you know, the lead um, student lender in, in, in the country to have money that they were going to use to like pick up where the where the business model left off philanthropically that was really interesting to me and interesting to me and that launched me into education so that was in 2001 and um, you know ever since then I've been working on college access um, you know affordability I've been working on um, chart the chart got very involved in the charter school movement and really working at the system level across the country thinking about how how um, how choice and competition in education can actually move the needle for all schools, and we've had good success with that in Washington D.C., uh, where, where I live. And then um, from there, I, I also w did other advocacy projects um, nationally around mostly K-12 and college access. And meantime, I was sitting on the board of um, uh, of a large public university in this area, uh, George Mason University. And watching how difficult it was to bring about change, even when you had a team, uh, a team that was very um, entrepreneurial, and our, our, in fact, our tagline was "Where innovation is tradition." Uh, but we really struggled to um, to make change happen in such a large, you know, bureaucracy that is, you know, that had was relied heavily on state funding, which was dropping through the floor. Um, and so that that's where that's the seat from which I launched the lab. Um, so that gives you a sense of, of my meandering path to get here. But I think um, some of those, some of the things that I did along the way really helped me, you know, embrace design thinking as a, as a, as a methodology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was very eclectic, uh, diverse experience. But I think it uh, just to kind of reinforce the point again is that you come into it with an interest, but a very different background and experience and all that. So I think... Uh, yeah, certainly, I think what is needed to, to help shake things up a bit. So, um, <laughs> but before we get to some other stuff, uh, just as like a baseline, if you want to give like a brief uh, definition, because I think some people, like you said, kind of might not have a familiarity with the term or sort of the, the movement um, of quote unquote design thinking. So like in a nutshell, how would you explain that to somebody who maybe just isn't un is like unfamiliar with the term? Mm hmm. Well, I mean, design thinking started out as as a as a you know a, a method in in product development, it, usually in an engineering capacity. You know, sort of you know decades ago, uh, you know, a, a, as a as a, as a process by which to uh, um, you know have the have the user the consumer involved in 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 product development. And and what's been really interesting, and I think um, you know the the guys out of the Stanford design school probably were the ones to bring it to a another level you know in out at Stanford and so that's why it, it rose more quickly on the west coast um, they you know they really began to apply it um, what had been a product um, process a product design process to process and you know then even social design um, and we really think that particularly in the last 10 years 
um, more and more people are using it um, to help them um, put a process around problem solving uh, in, com in complex situations, you know, where you have folks using it for, you know, working on all kinds of problems, uh, whether, whether it's world hunger or, um, um, you know, solving uh, how, to, how to create schools in, in, in rural areas. And so they're, 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 they're using, basically they're overlaying a design process in, um, in, um, as, a, as a way to, um, to work through uh, co-creation of new models. And, you know, I would say we're using it in two ways, um, and they, they overlap. So one is this process way uh, where, where it becomes a disciplined creative process that engages lots of stakeholders and, and has a focus on co-creation and rapid iteration, but, you know, it, it has a bias towards action mm -hmm. and, uh, and, 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 and a bias towards not being afraid of, of forward movement because you learn from it whether you fail or succeed. Um, so it's a, it's a process, but it's also a mindset or a, a couple of mindsets. And increasingly you see people wanting to use design thinking uh, mindset tools as um, to, to teach, uh, in other words, let's let's teach kids, let's teach um, college students, let's teach workers um, these these mindsets. And can you use design thinking, in fact, as a as a teaching tool to you know to build the the muscle of um, of these um, of these kinds of uh, of mindsets? And and just to name a couple of the mindsets, it would be like empathy, comfort with risk, comfort with ambiguity. Those would be a couple of examples of the uh, of, of the mindsets that are, you know, that are, that come, that really are, are, are practiced through a design thinking process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know for me, just when I've learned a bit about it, um, I think one of the things that makes design thinking so valuable is that, because yeah, if you're thinking with the, you know, student user, you know, consumer in mind, uh, I think it kind of, help support like the efficacy of the idea or like helping in the effectiveness of it or like the implementation or people actually like using it if you're thinking okay how's this environment or you know uh, app or website like how is it gonna encourage or discourage what we want or don't want people to do you know so it's like if you yeah you're making a website and you want to make sure like okay how is someone navigating around here to get to the things that they want to get to and you know how easy are we using or making it to use so um i think yeah like it that sort of one selling point, I think, of just like the effectiveness of whatever you're creating or doing is, you know, augmented by uh, design thinking and getting out of almost your own head and, yeah, like inviting in people that are actually going to be using it and, and those sort of things. So um, I guess if there's like one thing for you, like, what do you think makes it so valuable? Like, why is it catching on? Why is it going to be used for all of these different uh, purposes, you know, beyond what it was originally kind of intended for? Like you said, like engineering things yeah. and like all that so um what do you think makes it so valuable um I, I think that increasingly um we as as members of society who want to you know make a difference and change the world uh that when you try and think about the how you need to be able to break it down uh to a a, a process where you can um you know Develop the wisdom of the crowd, and um, and practice some divergent and then 
convergent thinking, uh, and then being able to um, rapidly ideate towards prototypes. And by prototypes, we mean um, an expression of, of your solution uh, uh, in the world. Um, it's really a great way to get from theory to action. Um, and it might not be the right action, but the point is, if you if you prototype several um, ideas towards towards a solution, um, your you know the the wisdom of the crowd actually um, pulls out you know the best of, and you then have something to move forward with. And because you've set up an agile uh, process, you then can take let's say that your prototype isn't working or, or, or you've, you've iterated it and you're launching a pilot off of it and it's not working, you've, got a, you've created a continuous improvement loop uh, to, and you've got a team in place to come back and learn from your mistakes and, and try again. And so it, it really it, it, it suggests that innovation is a cycle rather than a line. And I think that's the that's probably the biggest power of it as a process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, now, if, it, if I, I'd love to answer that question from the specific point of universities too, because it's a little bit different. Um, I was answering it kind of broadly in the world. Why, if you ask why is it taking root in universities, I think it's it's really interesting um, when you think about a university. Most of them are a bureaucracy. There's shared governance, right? So the, the, the leader, it's not like a company, right? The leader of a university actually doesn't have, you know, authority usually over the faculty. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you really, what's great about a design thinking process is it allows you to um, both scope a, a design question, you know, a, a project from a, the point of view of the user, who's the student, because design thinking, you know, has to, is supposed to answer the needs and behaviors of the users. Um, so you're, you frame a project from the student's point of view, which is kind of ideal and it, when you're problem solving in a university setting. And then you co-create, you, you bring stakeholders together, so you're breaking down the silos of a university, which is often the biggest problem because you're creating a safe space for them to create something new that's not, you know, where their, their reporting structures don't matter and the, you know, all the turf battles become less important because you're serving the student and everyone's there to serve the student so that's actually creates a, a clarifying a, a clarifying um, uh, mission for the project so I think those reasons of you know it breaks down silos it works it it, um, it, it creates stakeholder engagement and it also you know forces a rapid cycle of, of creation and 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 even execution which is not typical in, in universities yeah well, I think, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because it uh, certainly is, yeah, like a big problem of silos and turf battles and that kind of stuff. Like, it's really frustrating when you're trying to get things done. And um, I guess anything that maybe you've uh, kind of uh, worked with uh, people on or just any ideas, I guess, of, yeah, like that is why it's valuable, you know, it helps focus, you know, efforts on students and providing them with a great experience and breaking down silos and those sort of things you know, like, how would you see it kind of, like, applying, like, either sort of theoretically or things that you've seen in actuality of, like, you know, applying to higher education and campus right. life and student support or whatever kind of, I guess, comes to mind? Yeah, well, uh, one example of a, of a project that we're coming into the, 
into the you know the tail end of is um, we're working with uh, a large uh, university that is 100% online and and 100% competency based, um, meaning that you know that you don't there aren't actually classes. You are you know that the students are um, you know going through a series of assessments. They don't have a professor. They have a mentor. Uh, who is is you know guiding them through this process, and then there are course mentors, and then the, you have your own mentor. And the um, what's interesting is that they decided to pose a design question around around peer engagement because what they were finding is that is that um, is that students you know they don't come to that university. It's an online university. It's mostly working adults. They don't come to the university looking for campus life, um, but the question was: How could we use peer-to-peer? -peer, how might we use peer-to-peer engagement to increase retention and um, you know and success, student success? Mm -hmm. And uh, so you had to really kind of get underneath behaviors and stated attitudes about. Oh no, I'm not here for those things. To figure out, well, what are you looking for in terms of peer engagement? Like, how can we simulate the kind of peer um, peer um, uh, benefit of, of peer engagement that might happen organically at a at a, at a ground based university, um, and so that's been it's been fascinating because we what we have found is that if you if you do the design research right, you you pick up on the needs and behaviors that you know are not at the surface. You really do pick up on it, and so we we were able to come up with some interesting insights. And we were able to journey map, that's one of the you know, tools of design thinking, to journey map sort of the highs and lows of the student experiences based on you know, creating um, you know, personas where you understand different student types. And then you're able to see what their journey is like currently. And then based on what they're saying in the interviews and then some other, other you know, uh, a broader survey research, uh, we were able to create design criteria of what kinds of interactions they would be interested in having with other students. Mm -hmm. um, and so then we were able to prototype from there. And we just last week uh, did student testing of the prototypes. And uh, it went really, really well. So, you know, we feel, it makes us feel good about, you know, what we're able to discern in terms of insights through the process about what kinds of interactions they want. Mm -hmm. That's one example. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting there that I think a lot of people can relate to is almost that idea of like, like selling some something to people that like you know that they probably want but like on the sort of their demeanor is that like oh like i don't want it i came to this to like just get it you know get this credential and i don't want like peer interaction it's almost like well i think it'll be val like valuable to you let me try to like yeah like cultivate this in the right way because yeah i think that certainly is a valid and fair point of view that they might have is that they're not looking for peer-to-peer -peer engagement but i mean uh yeah i mean that's the personal touch and personal connections and all that is just kind of uh, part of our humanity and what makes the world go round and stuff and that I think can be like you said done in the right way and, and just that process that you're going through um, yeah I think often people it's kind of like like analysis paralysis of like if you aren't like doing all this sort of like thinking about it that you'd want to create like the perfect like peer-to-peer -peer engagement structure for this you know uh, institution and you might never even do anything because it's like well I don't know like me you know you just sort of like sort of meander on it or uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's the fear of like, uh, yeah, like rapid prototyping and failing where it's not 
like a failure of just figure out one way for it to not work kind of thing, you know, that classic quote, I don't know if it, Thomas Edison or something, but um, like, uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's really cool that the, uh, something like that's kind of taken shape. And I guess, you know, someone who is, uh, you know, listening to this and thinking that they'd want to try to, you know, implement this, you know, if they get a staff meeting together and start to try to, you know, get the ball rolling with something like this, or, uh, you know, we can get to the resources in a, in a moment here as well. But just any tips from you kind of anecdotally from your experience that would help someone, you know, implement this mindset into their work, if it's, you know, on a day to day thing, or to help them with that big project that they're trying to, you know, get off the ground, what, what tips would you give them? Yeah, we've had to we've had to think through that question because we've been teaching for the past couple of years in the um, in this new academy that that actually we helped create through a design process, an academy for higher ed uh, leadership uh, in innovation, and so we've been teaching design thinking and the tools at sessions at um, at Arizona State and Georgetown University, and and then um, folks come from around the around the country to to do the training. Um, the, I mean, probably the best thing is to think about tools, like individual tools that might help in certain circumstances. And, um, you know, for example, when we're doing workshops and we just only have time to do one thing, we, we might pull out, like, empathy mapping. Like, and we'd ask people to, um, to think, think about their... Um, the, the persona, like role play with the, the people that they're trying to serve and trying to pull out of, of the group or of their team, like what these people's needs and behaviors, what they see, what they hear, what they do, what they feel. Um, and so you kind of go around that cycle and you try and discern, if, particularly if you don't have time to do the research, but you feel like you know your audience because you serve them every day, you can do a bit of role playing and pull some of that out yourselves. Um, and so empathy mapping is one, you know, interesting and easy um, tool or activity that, that we recommend. Another is journey mapping. Um, we actually have a, you know, and I, I tell you about this in it, forgive people, um, tell them how to get there, but we're doing a project called 10 Years Out that is basically it's offering groups a, um, a, a set of tools to do some of these exercises themselves thinking about students of the future, like what, what, are, what is the student journey going to look like 10 years out? What is the typical student journey? And we, we give personas. We, we developed this with the Department of Education's technology office. Mm -hmm. And so that's a fun project that I, you know, that I could um, share with people in order for them to practice some of these tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Because, um, yeah, like, I, I like what you said. Sometimes it's just like the right... Um, tool or like the right exercise that can just help people be like I think I think they sort of like oh my god like sort of like an epiphany of what's like oh okay I, I get it or I get the value of it or you know it sort of broadens uh kind of broadens their perspective so um yeah I mean we can uh connect to a bunch of resources in uh the show notes and ways to connect with you in the uh you know design lab that you're working with there and um yeah I mean just any other like resource maybe like just other uh, books or videos or like tools like stuff that um, and if you want to send uh, links after this we can uh, throw them in the show notes but yeah just anything that comes to mind as like great resources um, that we can uh, refer people to to help out with this topic. Jean Litka who is a professor at a business school professor at UVA actually um, has written a book um, co-written a book um, Designing for Growth it's called 
Um, and we, we have used that as our textbook, actually. Interestingly, it's really focused, you know, the, a lot of the examples in the book are for business, because she wrote it for business. Um, but interestingly, she's uh, working on a book now to look at social design. Um, so that's coming out soon, I think. Um, but, but, the, but the practices, you know, I mean, you can easily make your own leap from business applications. Just some of the languages kind of businessy. It talks about profits and things like that. Um, but other, otherwise, it's it's very useful stuff. And we, we use that in the um, in our in the academy, and it seemed to go over very well. So that's one book I'd recommend. There's an interesting book called Game Storming, um, which we use sometimes. But I'm looking at it here in the office, uh, which is um, we often use to um, you know think about how to how to build play into into a set of exercises because we you know, we try to create design experiences. Uh, we're, we're also big fans of uh, one of the things we use to push people's prototyping thinking is something called 10 Types of Innovation, um, which is a, a really nice construct that's been you know, very well researched and thought out about patterns of innovation. Again, it was done for business, but we're, we, we, we're trying to adapt it for um, education. It's not that hard to make the mental leap either in that, in that um Example, but those are those are a few of the tools that we use from other folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think it really is like I've, I've further kind of gone on the journey of uh, kind of witnessing firsthand, but also like reading a lot of good books that are like the ones you mentioned, meant for business, but you can easily just make that leap uh, over to education. And I think there's a lot of you know great minds, a lot of brilliant people doing amazing work uh, in the business world that. And it is like I was talking about it the other day with somebody that like, you know, higher education, like colleges and universities are like the most unique thing. Like, cause it's like, well, they are like, they kind of have, like, if you look at it as like, you know, uh, you're providing a good and service and customer, like you can look at it in that way, but it doesn't really work exactly. And like, you have to kind of change things a little bit, but I think so much of what's happening out there, there's some people I think that kind of uh, kind of stiff arm uh, the business world and what's going on out there because it's like, oh no, it just does, like education is just different. Um, but I think there's uh, obviously like what we're talking about today with design thinking, but so many other things for innovation and uh, just providing good service and all of that. There's a lot of great ideas, a lot of great uh, examples of how to do things differently, do things better um, that obviously will achieve the goals of an institution of, you know, getting the best students, uh, keeping them, you know, engaged and developing and learning and, you know, persisting through all the years and obviously eventually graduating too. So there's so much that can go in to make that experience good for students. And, um, yeah, hopefully the stuff that we'll include here, you know, and ways to connect with you uh, and the work that you're doing uh, will help get people's, you know, juices flowing and ideas going. So, yeah, I mean, one thing I would say about, um, about the applicability of business and versus universities is that, you know, it, it is one reason that we created what we think is still the first vertical, particularly you know, at least nonprofit vertical in education for, for design thinking, um, you know, vertical organization that's serving this sector is because we recognize that it, you, you can't just, in this, in this sector in education, you can't just do what makes the most sense, right? Because there's so many constraints, particularly regulatory, but also, you know, culture, organizationally. And you need, you need, I feel like you need more expertise in, in, the, in the sector. And that's really critical 
because we've seen people, and I, um, I would caution folks who, you know, bring in design thinkers to help them do this work. And, you know, it's sad to say that in education, like the, the most logical place you might end up that the student needs or telling you to go, you can't go there. <laughs> you can't do that, right? You've got to figure out how to work within the constraints of, you know, regulatory accreditation, uh, you know, everything else. And so having having that nuanced understanding is, is we, we've, we have found has been really important. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. Well, yeah, I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of great stuff here. Um, and we will just end as we always do with uh, whatever final thought, just anything quick that uh, you'd want to sort of wrap everything up with or just one last kind of tip of the hat to something uh, to end the episode with. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the uh, areas that we're most excited about that I think lots of folks are getting involved in is around uh, micro-credentialing, this idea that, um, that, and that's come through our design work, I mean, at least to us, is this idea that as college and, and university becomes much more learner driven, you know, where an individual institution is not necessarily going to own you for your, your whole education journey and your education journey might last for years and take on different forms and um, that, that what is needed is a, is a credentialing currency that is not at the degree level, that is maybe at the course level or even the certification or the badge level. And so we think that that's a huge, um, you know, insight that's come to us over the past couple of years and that we continue to, we're enjoying working with more and more people as they, as they, you know, kind of share this, this, um, this, uh, belief really that, that, um, that the learner, there's a learner driven revolution happening and that, that the learners will be, you know, empowered to own their own journey. And so, you know, then they need currency that, that can travel with them and not be tied to any particular organization. We think that's a really compelling concept and an interesting even frame to think about as a mental model for the future of education. Mm. Yeah, something, uh, something to chew on for sure for folks. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think just, uh, yeah, stuff like that is just disrupting uh, paradigms and either how are you going to respond to that and anticipate that or, uh, yeah, I mean, just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, because I... Mean, I I look forward to seeing that taking shape at more places like you said, and just having that be uh, less of um, sort of an anomaly. Cause I think like you said, it just makes sense that I think we are very much, it's sort of the same like on-demand change that's happening in like entertainment, you know, and just in so many aspects of our life that education, I think will probably, you know, follow suit eventually. So just kind of seeing how that will work will be very uh, interesting as uh, time goes on. So um yeah, uh, I appreciate you, Kathleen, taking time out again uh, for this episode. It's really cool stuff, and I uh, definitely encourage folks to uh, stay tuned for our future episodes on this topic as well. I think there's, there's plenty more to get into in terms of different aspects of higher education, and I mean, it's just uh, it's a very rich topic, and I appreciate you bringing your experience and your insight uh, to our show here. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, we'll have all the stuff we talked about in the show notes. So, um, Okay, thanks. Thanks for having me for what you're doing yeah yeah you got it uh yeah, have a good rest of your day and uh okay. yeah, take care bye just thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast if you want to help us out leave us a review and rating on stitcher or itunes or just share out the show so other people can find all the cool stuff we talk about every single week again thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the student affairs spectacular podcast